Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. As we continue in our study of the accounts of the resurrection, we looked two weeks ago at the account where part of what Brother Todd read from Mark's gospel about as Mary and the other women came to the tomb to further anoint the body, further embalm the body after he had died not knowing how they were going to roll the stone away. And when they got there, the stone was already rolled away. And when they saw that, we talked about how they went and told the disciples. And Peter and John ran to the grave, and, and they were astonished that there were the grave clothes, but no body. And the face linen had been wrapped up neatly, folded up neatly, and laid to the side. And, and yet there was no body there, uh, indicating that there was no rush in getting away, indicating there wouldn't have been a grave robber that had stolen it or, or, or anything that, that the disciples couldn't have stolen. The, the grave clothes were there. And uh, they continued to ponder about that. Well, in verse 11, we pick up with Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala. Uh, John is really intent on us understanding what Mary's encounter is there uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the tomb and with the circumstances that surround that tomb. Now, it, it, we don't know why Mary's there, why she went back. We just know that she's broken, and she's sad, and she's, uh, John's going to tell us that she, um, uh, she is just terribly upset over the circumstances that have happened that, the, that the, the, the other disciples have seen, and she and the other women have seen. And, and so she goes back to the grave after John and Peter have left the grave, uh, to, to further investigate, I suppose, what is taking place there. But I want you to understand that Mary's sense of loss is great here. And I think John wants us to see that. And, and quite honestly, if we don't understand her sense of loss and what is happening here, we'll never understand the reason that John wanted us to see this in Mary's life. Mary, Mark tells us, was one who had thousands of demons cast out of her. I mean, he, she was one who, who had been greatly ministered to by the Lord and greatly delivered from her affirmity by the Lord. And, and so she was grateful to him and loved him and followed him and looked to him as Messiah and looked to him as, as Lord in her life. And now he has died. And she has seen that horrible crucifixion, that absolute merciless uh, situation where they flogged him and then hung him there to die on the cross. And she watched him die and be laid in a grave. She is broken and sad. What she had faced her life on, just like all the others, was now gone. And John wants us to see that very clearly. So she goes back to the tomb. And let's just read the text through verse 18, and then we will talk about it a bit. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. The word weeping there is, is a word that carries with it intensely, bitterly weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet. One commentator said, isn't it interesting that in death, Jesus had a thief on, one, on both sides of him, and he in the middle, and now here in the resurrection, you have his grave clothes with two angels sitting on side, indicating a great change in circumstances. I think that commentator had something there. She saw two angels, one at the foot, 
and, and one at the head, uh, and, and, and where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you, whom are you seeking? I mean, do you see the, the question repeated there by Jesus that the angels asked, why are you weeping? From Mary's perspective, weeping was the most normal and natural thing in the world to do. Her world had been shattered. So she was crying because of the death of Christ and crying now because even the body of Christ was gone. The, the body of her Lord was gone and she didn't know where it was. So she's weeping over that, and it's a very normal and natural thing, and yet both the angels and Jesus both ask the question, why are you weeping? Could it be that they had a different perspective on the whole thing? They understood what had just happened and what was taking place, and that he was no longer in a grave anywhere. His body was no longer just a body, which is what Mary was anticipating, as were all the others, but now he was alive? And they understood from that perspective, from a whole different realm, the angels particularly understood, and Jesus knew it by experience, that Jesus was no longer dead. And so weeping was absolutely the most unnormal thing that could be happening from their perspective. But from Mary's, it was very normal. So she goes on. Supposing him, that is Jesus, to be the gardener, at least someone in authority, someone who oversees this particular area of, of garden where tombs are, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Again, still anticipating there's nothing but a body. And Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. That's kind of a, a weak statement, I think, in the parenthetical note there. Rabboni, which means teacher, it does mean teacher, but it's, a very, it's not just rabbi, it's Rabboni. It's a very personal, very intense, very, very loving response. It's like saying, my rabbi, my teacher, my Lord. There's an expression of, of, of a great exclamation there. Verse 17, Jesus says to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Second resurrection narrative. The first John and Peter running to the grave, seeing the grave closed. But now Mary Magdalene, they didn't see Jesus. They, they, did, they just saw some empty grave clothes and an empty tomb. Or as we said two weeks ago, an almost empty tomb. The grave clothes were still there. They didn't see the angels, they didn't see, the, they didn't see the, uh, the person of Christ, but now Mary Magdalene sees the Lord. 
she speaks to him. He speaks to her. She sees the angels. She understands at least something is going on here that's not making sense. I don't think she knew they were angels, although they were sitting there in white. They were sitting there looking like anything except what she normally saw. But they said to her, why are you weeping? And, and, and she said, they've taken him away. I saw him buried right here in this tomb. I saw him taken down from the cross and laid here with the spices that Joseph and Nicodemus had brought and wrapped around him. I saw him laying right here on this slab, and now he's gone. That's why I'm weeping, at least partially. He's dead. I'm experiencing grief. My faith that I had in him, that he was the Messiah, my faith that I had in him, that he was going to deliver us from the Romans and all our enemies, it has sort of died with him. My hope that there was freedom and my hope that things were going to come has sort of died with him. But one thing that didn't die in Mary was her love for him. She still loved him even though she felt like perhaps he had let her down. She still loved him and cared for him and wanted his body properly cared for, even though perhaps even though her faith and her hope had kind of dissipated and disappeared, she still loved Jesus because of what he had done for her in this life. And so she goes to the tomb weeping. John is wanting us to see that there's absolutely nothing here that can be explained by grave robbers. There's absolutely nothing that can be explained here by saying, oh, well, you know, the, the, the soldiers took him away or, or the gardener moved him. That did not transpire. He wants us to see that there's nothing working here except the power of God, the resurrection power of God to bring him out of the grave, the same resurrection power of God that brings you out of the grave of sin and spiritual death in your own life. John is wanting us to see here that this is a powerful narrative, that this is God at work in a magnificent way, which we had never seen before, they had never seen before, and they were stunned by it when they finally began to see it. It's the same thing that Peter said in Acts chapter, 30, uh, chapter 2, verse 32, when he's preaching at Pentecost, and he said simply, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to that fact. Remember that. Later, Peter begins to proclaim over and over again, listen, we are witnesses to what has taken place. God did a work and raised him from the dead, and we saw it, we experienced it, we watched it, we talked with him, and Mary is the first one to get to do that. What a glorious truth that is. Maybe Jesus' question after the angels have asked her, why are you weeping? And maybe, why, maybe Jesus repeats this, why are you weeping almost as a, a soft rebuke, if you will, a mild rebuke? Why are you weeping? You see the grave is empty. Why are you weeping? You should know what I told you, that I was going to be buried in the ground, and three days later I was going to come back to life. I told my disciples this. I told the people that followed me this over and over. Why are you weeping, Mary? Don't you understand what is really taking place right now? Maybe just a mild rebuke. And then he goes on to say, who is it you're looking for? 
perhaps as sort of an invitation for her now to open her eyes and see who he really is. Kind of an invitation to reflect on the kind of Messiah she was expecting as opposed to the kind of Messiah that he is. The true biblical Messiah, not not just a political Savior, but a Savior of life. She shows that she has still not transcended the explanation to which she had earlier thought about, and that was surely somebody has stolen the body. I mean, that's the normal thing, isn't it? The body's missing. So she's supposed to be the gardener, and she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, if you've moved the body, if you've been party to this hoax, if you've been party to this cruel joke that's breaking my heart, tell me where you laid him, and I'll go get him, and I'll take him away. And, and maybe even she's saying, Listen, I'll go get him and bring him back here and put him back where, he right, where the body rightly belongs. I'll go get him and rebury him if you've taken him from this spot. Jesus said to her, Mary. Now we're reading this, so there's no way to really understand the inflection in which he said it. The, the translators kind of put a, an exclamation point there, but that wasn't in the original text. It's just sort of a, uh, to give us the emphasis there. But somehow Jesus said to her, Mary. And when she heard his voice say her name, it says she turned to him and in Hebrew said, Rabboni, my rabbi, my teacher, my, my, my master, my Lord. She recognized him for who he is. Does that not remind you of something Jesus said back in chapter 10 just a little bit? Back in chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, he's talking about the parable of the good shepherd and he says, To him the doorkeeper opens, that is to the one who belongs there, to to the shepherd. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. That's beautiful. Jesus calls her name, and she responds immediately to call him Lord. Same way in in, in your life and my life. Maybe we don't recognize it because we don't hear it verbally. But there was one day, 1970, that's a long time ago. In 1970, 43 years ago, that, that I was sitting out on a, 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 a step, a stone step under Denny Chimes on the University of Alabama campus. And, and, and my voice was called, my name was called by that voice. And I didn't hear a verbal voice. But at that point, it was as though Jesus said, Bill, wake up, see who I am. And I recognized who he was and I believed. And I walked forth and followed him. It was at that point that I cried out with my voice, Lord, Lord, I can't save myself. Lord, I'm in, a, I'm in a mess myself. Lord, I need your transcending power. And there under that, under that tall edifice that was standing there on the campus, I, I surrendered to Christ because 
In my spirit, I heard his voice calling my name. And as his sheep, I knew that voice, and I followed. What an amazing truth. Mary says, when I heard his voice, I recognized who he was, and I cried out. And, I, and she fell at his feet and evidently wrapped around him, and he said, stop clinging to me. Now, I think King James here is a little, little less clear than what the text really says. I think King James says, don't touch me. As though I'm, I'm too pure for you to touch. I really don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying basically, stop holding on. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. I'm still here. And I'm still going to teach for about 40 days. And I'm still going to teach you a lot of things that you need to know. Don't cling to me right now. There's work to be done in this period of time before I depart and ascend to my Father. But go to my brethren. Go back to Peter and John and James and and all the others that are gathered there weeping because Christ has died, and now weeping because the body is missing, and, and, and weeping because they don't have a clue what's about to take place. You go back, and you tell my brethren what you have seen, and tell them what I have said. And, and more than that, you go back to my brethren, and you say to them, I ascend, I am going to ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. First time, first time Jesus has ever personalized it that way to Mary or anybody else. He's talked about my Father and my God in, in, in a personal sense. I'm from the Father. The Father has sent me. I'm going to go back to, the, to my Father. I came to serve my God and to do my God's will. And, and the, my meat, my purpose, my, my life food is to do my Father's will, my God's will, who has sent me. But now he says, listen, in this resurrection experience, in this newness of life that I'm bringing to you, this thing that this, this resurrection is confirming and empowering the work done on the cross that will now be made personal to you, you go back and you tell my brethren, you go back and tell them that I am going to ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. like that I like that that Jesus is saying listen I want you to understand there's a new world happening now there's a whole new dimension happening now there's a whole new relationship that's opening up now but can you also see in that those words that Jesus gives to Mary just a little bit of a precursor to the great commission that that Matthew records and that Luke records in in Acts chapter 1 where he said, you go and be my disciples, you go and tell what you have seen, you go and tell what you have known, you go and tell what you've experienced in me. Mary, you go and tell my brethren so that they might know that you've seen me alive. Just a little bit of a precursor to what our call is. That will be magnified a little later even in John's gospel and in all the gospels where Jesus says, listen, as as you have been changed, as you have been touched, as you have seen the risen Lord spiritually in your own spirit, that now you are to go and tell those who need to hear what has taken place. That's That's the essence of missions, folks. That's the essence of evangelism. We make it so complicated, we make it so difficult that, you know, we feel like if you haven't spent at least three semesters in a, in a, in a witnessing course of some sort, you really can't do it right. 
And yet Jesus says, listen, just go tell my brethren what you've heard. So Mary Magdalene came, came back to the room where the disciples were, and said to them, I have seen the Lord. And he said these things to me. That's amazing that John doesn't tell us what they said. I don't know if it's because he's embarrassed at what they said. Can you imagine a woman coming back into your room where you are in a day when women weren't even allowed to testify in courts of law? I mean, their, their testimony was not real, wasn't looked upon real favorably. Wasn't trusted. And so a woman runs back in and says to these men who have been following Christ, who are called by Christ specifically, and says, hey, I have seen the Lord. I mean, there had to be an exuberance in her voice. I've seen Jesus. Sure, Mary, sit down. Oh, okay, Mary. Yeah, Mary, you know how Mary is. She gets a little overexcited from time to time. Don't know what she saw. Don't know who she saw, but Mary, come on. We saw him die. We see the graves empty. John, it says, did believe when he saw the empty tomb, but the others, there's no indication there's any belief in the resurrection. And John himself even said back in the past we looked at last week, you know, after, after he saw and believed, yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They're still confused. They're about to get unconfused quickly next week. They're still confused. Sure, Mary, you saw Jesus. Now go cook something. Sure, Mary, you saw Jesus. Just settle down. Okay? I'll go on. There's there's clearly... There's clearly a joy here that is undeniable. There's a joy that flows out of what we've been talking about all along in each of these encounters. It's an unexpected encounter. Jesus didn't imagine, excuse me, Mary didn't imagine that she saw Jesus because she went there hoping beyond hope. When I go back to the grave, maybe I'll see Jesus. No, she went back to the grave to find the body. She went back to the grave to to properly bury him. She went back to the grave anticipating to find nothing there at this point with those empty grave clothes, but hopefully find somebody who could tell her what had taken place. She went back to the grave and met an unexpected encounter in that garden with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is always doing things unexpectedly, isn't he? He does things unexpectedly in our lives. Talked about my experience 43 years ago. I I wasn't expecting that to take place. I, I wasn't expecting that night that was supposed to be studying for an economics exam, and I just was troubled in my spirit. And so I walked, and I walked, and I, I prayed, and I, I said things I'd never heard myself say before. 
and it was an unexpected encounter that night with the living Lord Jesus. I wasn't expecting that. Well, I'd been religious all my life. I'd been in church since I was a little baby. I'd done all the right things. I was an RA. Shoot, I was a sunbeam. And you don't have any idea, most of you, what a sunbeam is. I was a sunbeam. I was in RAs. I would have been in GAs if they would have let me. I mean, I, you know, I was always at church. Vacation Bible school is my favorite time of the year. Made those little things, whatever they were. I mean, I loved it. I was in Sunday school every Sunday. I sometimes got in trouble in Sunday school, but I was there. I wasn't expecting anything unusual on that night in January 1970. I really wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting some kind of encounter with Christ that was going to literally change my life, but that's exactly what happened. And I, like Mary that night, said, oh, my Lord, my Lord and my God, my Father, I know you. Up to that time, I'd known a lot about him, heard a lot of stories, read a lot of the Bible. That night was almost like the same that happened to Mary that night when she came, that day when she came back to the grave on that morning, and there he was. And he called her voice. And because she was one of his sheep, she followed, just like he said she would. Several implications in this story that I want you to see. Implications that are not just for Mary or for Peter, for John, but implications for you and me. First of all, I want you to see the absolute, total, implicit, and explicit thing that John is showing is, number one, the resurrection is historical. He deals with it historically. He deals with it factually. He deals with it, even as Peter said in that sermon at Pentecost, we are witnesses to the fact of his resurrection. Now, it's hard to prove the resurrection historically in our day. I realize that in many ways. But let me tell you one thing. It's not historically hard to prove the empty tomb. That's clearly delineated in historical record. Now, you can debate on what happened. The disciples stole it. The soldiers stole it. Whatever. Grave robbers got it. Whatever. None which are sufficient. But I want you to know, Peter said, we were witnesses to the fact of the resurrection. It is a historical event. If you hear somebody saying, oh, well, it's really more of just a spiritual experience. You know, they experienced him resurrected because they wanted to and they felt that was a, a good thing. And so they went on their way and they said he was raised from the dead and they perpetrated a lie. You look at them and say, you, you're, not, you're not dealing with all the facts. It was historical. It took place. Second thing that John wants us to see that the resurrection is personal in its implication. He encounters these disciples. He encounters Mary first and later the others. And he calls them by name. And there's a change in their life. Listen, I said earlier that when Mary came back to the grave, her faith had diminished. Her faith was crushed. Her hope was all but gone. 
And when she heard her voice called by Jesus, there was a resurrection of sorts. There was a rebirth in her life of faith and hope. And the love that never died was intensified there in her. And and Paul later will say to the Corinthian Christians, faith, hope, and love, these are great things, but the grace of these is love. And Mary experienced that in the garden that day. She experienced her love for the one she had lost, but then she experienced his love for her when he manifested himself and called her by name. It's historical. It's it's deeply personal, but never private. You know, we try to make Christianity date something, even our cultures, well, you, you can believe in Jesus, you can worship God, and go, just keep it to yourself. It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus immediately wanted Mary to know that it might be personal and it might have changed her life right there on the spot and that she might have had a rebirth of faith and a rebirth of hope and an extension of love all over the place that day in that garden. He wanted to understand that while it is personal, it's not private. And so he said to her, now you go to my brethren and you say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. And Mary went out and announced it publicly. So I want you to see the third thing about this. It's not, it is historical. It is personal, but it's also universal. It's to be shed abroad. It's to be spoken abroad. It's to be spoken from you to other people, whether they're your next door neighbor or the person you work with, or the person you go to school with, or, or somebody in Peru, or somebody in, in the Middle East, or wherever God takes you in your life. It's something that is meant to be spoken universally across the face of this earth. That's why John said in his vision when he saw heaven in the book of Revelation, he said, listen, I saw surrounding the throne of God people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people group. I saw them there worshiping the Lord because this gospel, this truth of his resurrection is a universal truth. Now, John didn't say every person from every tribe and every person from every people group and every person from every language was there, but there were people from every single one of those surrounding the throne, those who had been touched by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, those who by, by, by virtue of the Holy Spirit had heard their name called and it responded like Mary did, Rabboni, my Lord, my teacher, my master. And fell before him in submission to his grace and submission to his authority. It's historical. It's personal. But it's never private. It's universal. He didn't say, now Mary, you go back. And you and I have got this special relationship here. Keep it to yourself. Go tell my brethren. He's going to say that same thing throughout the rest of this book. He's going to say that thing throughout the rest of the Gospels. If you've experienced resurrection power in your life, if you've experienced that unexpected encounter, whether it was in a garden or on a college campus or in your bedroom, if you've experienced that unexpected encounter with the living Lord Jesus, the living Christ, the living God, then go and tell others. You know why? Because as the Holy Spirit told Paul in the book of Acts, 
I have, I have people in every city waiting to hear the gospel. And it's your privilege. It's your joy. And it's your responsibility. Who've been touched by me, Jesus says. To take that truth to them. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I... I, I and even this week, as I mulled over it, meditated on it, prayed about it, studied it, and broke it down, and put it back together. Every time I come to that passage, I can never see Mary the same when I leave that passage. I always see her as a clear picture of what we are to be doing on this side of the resurrection. We who know him, we who've been touched by him, and that's a clear call. Here's what Jesus says to you, Tom, Bill, Mark, Frank, Mike, you've been touched, you've been called by the shepherd. Now go and tell my brethren they're out there and I'm going to let you be the one to tell them about it let's pray Lord Jesus I would ask you to give an unexpected encounter to those here this morning that you don't know that don't know you that you know, but they don't know you. I would pray, Lord, that you would call their name by your Holy Spirit, that you would touch their lives, give them a hunger and a thirst for your righteousness and for you and you alone. Father, I pray that you would, Just putting it simply, say, men and women this morning that don't know you. Maybe they've been religious. Maybe they've played games, but they've never really, never really been encountered by you calling their name. Lord, call their name, I pray. Just like you did Lazarus. Lazarus come forth and he came alive. Call us, O oh Lord. Call men and women. Call young people to your Lordship. As, as Mary saw, oh, Rabboni, my Lord, my teacher, my master. Father, I pray that you work your truth in our lives as those who have submitted to your Lordship, that we would be obedient to the implicit message of the Great Commission here that will become much more explicit later on. Go and tell. Go and share. Go and speak your truth. Because you're no longer just the God of Jesus Christ. You're our God. You're no longer just the Father of Jesus Christ. You're our Father. Lord, we submit to you. In Jesus' holy name, we pray.
Amen.